Good morning. Please turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11, 1 through 4. That can be found in the Pew Bible, page 262, or the following, uh, or the following Jesus Bible, page 326. <clears throat> in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you have little ones who would like to go for children's worship, that's first grade and under, they're going to line up at the door there, and Miss Brittany and Miss Savannah are going to take them over for children's worship. And if we got any visiting kids today, I don't know if we did, um, one parent will want to go over with them uh, to get them signed up with our volunteers. Uh, we got one straggler. So when I was a child in Sunday school, uh, we used to sing a little song. It went like this. Maybe you know it. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You know this one? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You can sing it. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. So, you know, those other verses, oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Like, uh, probably hands and who knows what all was involved. I, don't, I didn't memorize it. The theology of the song might not be the best. It's kind of a moralistic Santa Claus God is watching you, so you make, make sure you do the right thing, right? Um, but from a purely pragmatic angle, there is there's some truth in the song. Children, and indeed all people, need to be cautious about what they perceive. The things we see, the things we hear, the things we interact with, the things we imagine, our perception is something that we need to guard. David wasn't cautious enough with his perceiving. When he saw this woman bathing, he continued to watch her bathing. Last week's artwork on the front of the worship guide was great because it was him like on the pillar of his house, like leaning against the pillar. He was focused in. He was taking in that perception. See, I don't think it was a sin for David to be on his roof at that time of day. I don't think he was expecting to see what he saw. Seeing Bathsheba bathing, perceiving that, appears to have been an accident rather than some intentional act of sin. But that perception, what he saw, triggered a dormant desire within him. And he was therefore attracted to her. And in that moment, his perception, attraction, and desire collided and he made a terrible decision, a devastatingly stupid and sinful decision, and he committed adultery with her. Now, if you weren't here last week when we began talking about this, 
I strongly encourage you to go back on our website and listen to last week's sermon online. We spent a lot of time chewing on this idea that every time you make a decision, there's an interplay between three different things, your perception, your attractions, and your desires. Every decision you make, every moral decision, every business decision, every mundane decision you make, every choice involves perception, attraction, and desire. And when David found himself in the middle of that trifecta, Why did he make the wrong decision? Because he didn't think. At least he didn't think correctly. We closed last week with a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's in the front of your worship guide. It's short, but you can flip over there and look at it. Lewis says, and there's some ellipses in here. We'll see the full quote next week. Lewis says, Reason in man must rule the mere appetites. The head rules the belly. We need to think before we make decisions. We need to think before we satisfy our desires with things that seem attractive to us. If we don't stop and think first, we could find ourselves like David making a decision that leads to irreparable harm. So how should we be thinking differently? Well, for starters, we need to think about our perception. The children's song was right, in a sense. We need to be careful with our perceiving senses. If you'd like to take notes, there's some sheets and folders where you can take uh, sermon notes along the way. That's your first blank. We need to be careful with our perceiving senses. What are our perceiving senses? Kids, who of you can name one of our five senses? Just say it out, Joe. Touching, okay, touching. That's one of our senses. Audrey? Smelling is one of our senses. Isaac? Taste is one of our senses. Sight. And what's the last one? Hearing. That's right. So those are our five senses. Our five senses are seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, and hearing. But there's another way that we perceive things. We talked about it at length last week, which is our imagination. With our five senses and with our imagination, we need to be careful. But why? Well, the first danger of perception is that we don't always know uh, the desires that lay dormant within us. Is my thing not working? Did I get unplugged? Let's try this. There we go. That's why y'all didn't know the first one. So the first blank, we need to be careful with our perceiving senses. Did you get that one? In case you didn't, that was that one. And the second one. The first danger of perception is that we don't always know the desires that lay dormant within us. So let's think about the relationship between our perception and our hidden or dormant desires. So how many of you, so it was like two weeks ago when the temperature finally shifted and it got a little bit cooler. How many of you, when you perceived with your skin that change in temperature, how many of you immediately started thinking about pumpkin spice lattes, and Halloween candy, and chili, and Oktoberfest beers. For me, it was all four, all right? We have these desires bound up within us that are easily awakened by the smallest change in our perception. A scent can recall a memory from long ago and a desire from long ago. A glimpse of someone or something makes us aware of a need that we didn't even feel before. 
And while some of those desires that come up may be mundane and not dangerous, that's not always the case. So David perceived Bathsheba and a dangerous desire was aroused. Likewise, you don't know what desires lay dormant within you. Therefore, we've got to be careful with our senses and with our imagination. If we don't guard these six perceptive inputs that we have, it can awaken desires that should remain asleep or at least desires that are not timely. We need to be careful with our perceiving senses. They can wake desires that should be left alone. But that's not the only reason we need to be careful with our perceiving senses. The second danger of perception is that repeated, dare I call it liturgical perception, can cultivate desire. You ever wonder why we use repetition in our worship service? There's a lot of reasons why, actually. And one of them is that repetition trains our desires. So after 11 years of doing this, well, I guess nine years we've been doing communion every week. After nine years of that, um, when I go to a church and worship where they don't have the Lord's Supper, I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like worship isn't over, that there's something yet that needs to be done. I want to respond to God's grace. I want to recommit to that covenantal relationship in response to what Christ has done. I desire the Lord's Supper because that's become a part of our weekly worship. Repetition, liturgy, these things shape and cultivate our desires. That's why we do the repetitions that we do. But repetition in liturgy doesn't only happen in church. I wonder how many of you children of the 80s can remember these liturgies from our childhood. I'm going out on a limb here. Let's see if you remember this. Double the pleasure, double the fun. It's uh, double mint gum. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you very much. All right. Um, Now, this is for more kids of the late 80s, early 90s. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, wherever I go. Somebody's singing it. He's going to go. The, the commercial falls out when his, his kid's sister, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, now this is, this is kind of a generation agnostic. How many of you remember the NBC tone? Anybody? There we go. Yeah, that's right. I probably remember 200 commercials from my childhood, and I have a hard time remembering the third verse of holy, 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 right? Why is that? Why do commercials work? I mean, they actually make money from these things. They work because they wear you down through repetition. By repeating their catchy songs and their attractive imagery, they're assaulting your eyes and ears and imagination with a liturgy that cultivates desire. And if it was bad in the 80s, baby, it's real bad today in 2022. You live in a world of liturgies. You are perceiving messages, and you are perceiving objects to which you may or may not be attracted over and over and over. And the more that you perceive them, the more it cultivates desire in you. So you may not be attracted to that royal chicken sandwich at Burger King the first time you see that commercial, right? You may not be attracted to that message or idea the first time that you hear it. But by weight of repetition and exposure, your desires can begin to change. And all of that means you need to be more careful with your perceiving sentient. Somebody who's been away for most of my life, probably including today. Well, consistently, other nerds harass me saying, I've got to watch Game of Thrones, even though the last season of it was terrible. And I've got to watch House of Dragons, the the follow-up show to it. And I'm not going to. I'm never going to. I'm happy to tell you why. It's pornographic. 
Megan and I watched the first two episodes of the first season like nine years ago, and we decided this is not good for us. This isn't good for our imagination. This isn't good for us to watch. Um, We have to guard what we perceive. And it's not just pornographic images like David's perceived. It's also the messages that you hear on repeat that start to cultivate your your thinking in different directions. You know why I gripe so much about CNN and Fox News from the pulpit all the time? It's because through their repetition, they're arousing desires in you that don't need to be aroused. They're attracting you to things that before were not at all attractive to you. And it concerns me that this liturgy that we're doing right now, you experience this once a week. But the 24-7 news liturgy, you can experience that all day, every day. Our biggest competitor as a church, my biggest competitor as a preacher, is not some other church or preacher in town. We're on the same team. Our biggest competitors are the liturgies with which you are constantly being bombarded. It's these other messages and these other objects that you're perceiving that are taking your desires and your attractions in a way that actually pulls you away from Christ, away from his purposes, and away from his church. We've got to pay attention to the things we let in. So as I said last week, we need to think. Now, maybe there are Christian men who can handle watching Game of Thrones, and it's not going to be a bad thing for their imagination. As a pastor, and just as a dude, I have some pretty strong moral and practical questions for any guy that thinks they can. But, you know, maybe one of those guys is out there. I'm not trying to create some new law. I don't want to tell you, here are the shows you can watch, here are the shows you can't watch. Here are the things you can listen to and things not to listen to. Here are the books you can read and books not to read. Those are issues of conscience that you need to think about. On the one hand, we can just passively consume every message and every repeated thing that's in our world just passively and not pay any attention to it, or we can be legalists. We don't want to do either of those. But when it comes to what you read, when it comes to what you see, when it comes to what you imagine and entertain, you have to think. Otherwise, you are allowing the world to mindlessly shape you and the way you think by their liturgies, and it's just giving full range to to the desires of the flesh. And and it's not just porn and politics. Those are not the only things we've got to be aware of. I was listening to a podcast. Some of the guys here know because I was griping about this at our men's group. I was listening to a really good Christian podcast. And they, they said, they opened up by saying, every day you perceive 10,000 advertisements. 10,000 times every day American citizens are being called to give their time, to give their money, to give their self to these causes and these different things. And I was really getting in this podcast like, oh, yeah, this is great, this is great. I wonder what their solution is going to be. The end of the podcast, you know what they did? They tried to sell me a book. I wanted to punch the radio in my car. I was like, you got to be kidding me. It's another advertisement <laughs> like snuck in here. We have to be discerning because we're always being sold something and we usually don't realize it. We have to guard our perceiving senses. But listen, what an adult can handle is way more than what a child can handle. Adults have more wisdom, willpower, and experience than children. Now, David was an adult and still bungled it up real bad. But more than that, children, even their brains, are not as fully formed as adults, which means they are more easily affected by these repetitious liturgies 
and simply by what they perceive, what they see. We need to be more careful with our perceiving senses, especially when we're young. Adults, we've got to be more careful about our perceiving senses and our imaginations, but we need to be even more cautious about our kids and grandkids. The earlier two dangers that we talked about apply to our kids as well. Perception can awaken in them dormant desires. It can cultivate their desires in wrong directions. But here's a third danger that applies especially to them. Third danger of perception is this, that the earlier in life that we perceive things, the more ingrained and natural inordinate desires and illicit satisfactions can seem. So when a child sees something celebrated that shouldn't be celebrated, when a child sees sin modeled intentionally or unintentionally, when a child witnesses things they shouldn't be exposed to, it affects them long-term and more deeply than we can imagine. Now, I grew up fundamentalist. I wasn't allowed to trick-or-treat until I was like 12. I was not allowed to watch He-Man or Smurfs. I definitely would not have been allowed to play Dungeons & Dragons. Now, I play D&D with my kids. Uh, My kids go to public school. We even have Disney+. Plus which uh, distributes some questionable content branded for kids, right? This is a conscience issue we've each got to discern. So parents, I'm not telling you what to do and what not to do with your kids. Uh, As with perceiving for adults, I'm not trying to give some new legalistic law that you've got to employ in your household. As a kid, I remember clearly, like every month, our church had a new thing we were going to boycott. All right, church, here are the things where none of us are going to do this month to, to really show the world, you know, what we think about things. It doesn't seem to have changed anything. No, that's not what I'm doing. Parents, grandparents, I'm inviting you to think, to pay attention. What your kids and grandkids watch and listen to and read and talk about, it forms them, and it forms them for their whole life. And the more it's repeated, it changes the way they think. It changes the things they value. It can even create new desires. So pay attention to what your kids are taking in and set wise limits. In C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, he talks about the way to get into people's hearts. He said, start with their imagination. If you can get into people's imaginations so that sin starts to seem harmless, normal, perhaps even beneficial, if they can imagine that, it won't take long to get from their imaginations to their thinking and then from their thinking into their hearts and will. If we don't protect and guard what our children perceive, then we shouldn't be surprised when 10 years down the road they're believing things wholly opposed to the Scriptures when they are wanting and pursuing things, things that seem completely outside the bounds of God's law. So that's the defensive kind of negative side of this. But what's the positive side of this? A question. How can we create repetitious liturgies of truth and goodness in our own homes uh, and throughout our weeks? What are the things we can do repetitiously in our homes each week, uh, liturgies of truth and goodness? So this is why I encourage you, whether you have kids in your home or not, uh, to have patterns in your home where you can repeat this liturgy. This thing that happens on Sunday morning, we want you to take this home in some form and to be repeating it. If the world is constantly bombarding you and your kids with these liturgies, why not take ours home and let yourself be exposed to that same repetition week in and week out? So let me give you an option to consider. I want you to take this home and try it out uh, whether you have kids or not, it's, you can do it by yourself, you can do it with your roommates, you can do it with your spouse, you can do it with multiple generations. We do it even with our friends that come over to have supper with us. But here's a, a dinner liturgy 
uh, that I want to recommend to you. Oh, no, it's just in your worship guide. My bad. It's printed there. It's not on the, on the slides. So this is not just for families with kids. First of all, eat dinner together. Asking good, engaging questions of everybody at the table. Maybe dinner doesn't work for your schedule. Okay, breakfast or lunch. or Get people together in one place and turn your cell phones and your TVs off. These are the means that the world is constantly giving us those messages. Just sit down. Five, ten minutes. Eat together and engage in deep questions. I ask questions. I go around the table and ask, like, well, how was your day? What was your favorite thing today? What's something you learned? Just engage with each other. Then secondly, it's printed on your worship guide, read a short scripture. If you've got kids, use a children's Bible. That's okay. Or instead of a scripture, you could read a devotional. Subscribe to Ligonier. If you don't know what Ligonier is, we can get you connected with them. Read a devotional. Or you can even recap last Sunday's sermon. We send these notes home or recap the Sunday school lesson from the previous Sunday. The kids go home with a little sheet that tells them what Sunday school was about. Just some kind of injection of truth, some kind of echo of truth from what we do week in and week out. Third, go around the table and pray for each, each person's needs. Okay, son. How can mama be praying for you? Mom, how can I pray for you? And pray for each other in real time. And then fourth, close out by singing the doxology or Amazing Grace or Gloria Patri, whatever you want to sing. My family does this every night, and it takes like five minutes. It takes literally no preparation. I don't prep a Bible study or anything like that. We just got a children's Bible. We got a bookmark in it. We just go forward from there. The only initiative and preparation it takes is just getting everybody to the table food being ready of some sort, and just one person, hey, dads, being intentional to lead this process. Again, the goal, this is just what me and my family do. This isn't a new law for you guys to follow. It's something you can try. But just create a space in your daily practice for our liturgy, for our message, for our songs. What happens on Sunday, we want to echo and shape our lives as we go forward from here. And it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be at dinner. But how can we increase our perception of good things, of right things? As Paul said in Philippians 4, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. We need to be careful with our perceiving senses, especially when we're young. We can let our flesh and our desires run the show. We can let the world run the show. Or we can stop and think. We can think about the things we're letting in through our senses and our imagination. Where David failed was in not thinking and not repenting. When he perceived what he saw, he didn't run to the God who was nearby, the God who loved him and who offered true satisfaction to him. No, he didn't guard his eyes, his mind, or his heart. And the story ends in disaster. What will you do? We need to be careful with our perceiving senses, especially when we're young. So let us consider how we will protect our senses and our imaginations and how we will also create new liturgies, positive countercultural liturgies in our own lives so that we might live a life of satisfied faithfulness to our God. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for these, your people, that you will protect them from the liturgies that they don't even realize are intentionally aimed at them to take their time, to take their attention, to 
take their money, to take everything they have, and to use it for their purposes. Lord, you, through the gospel, have set us free from the desires of the flesh that we might live according to your spirit. And so, Lord, help us to be on the defensive, but also, Lord, help us to be proactive. I pray that every person here would create some space in their life every day to continue this liturgy so that they might continue to drink from the pool that is the gospel day in and day out as they seek to serve Christ. And, Lord, I want to pray especially for our children. By your Holy Spirit, I pray that you will protect their hearts, protect their eyes, their minds, their bodies, that they uh, might persevere in faithfulness to Christ, not just in childhood, but into adulthood, that we uh, would see in them the kingdom of God flourishing 20, 40, 50 years into our future. This is our hope and our prayer, and this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.